even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on YouTube, still No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces. And last platform that I want to, that I want to plug right here, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. Thank everyone for listening to this episode. I'm recording this the day after Christmas. Really enjoyed my holiday season. How about you, Dom? Uh, you know, you, you can't ask for much more than the a barely Eagles win on Christmas Day. I mean, it wasn't a pretty game, but at least we got the dub because I know that the city of Philadelphia would have been torn to shreds if that wasn't the case. Um, but no, it was, it was a beautiful Christmas. I mean, I wish there was a little bit more snow. wish it was a little bit colder, but um, yeah, I had a pretty good time. They're saving it for the playoffs, clearly. Uh, they better be because this is yeah we'll get to that game in a moment but yeah well no I mean that they're saving the snow for the playoffs but yes I, no, I also I thought, you meant, I thought you meant the Eagles were saving playing decent football for the playoffs I I <laughs> hope so too I, I'm not gonna lie I it, it's tough because like people from Philly get a bad rap uh and I get it yeah. but this is a football team that I enjoy watching I feel like everyone even though not everyone likes the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> Sorry, Dom. Uh, it's all right. I get it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm one of the, to be fair, I'm one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, despite what people think of that team, that place, all that stuff, I feel like they represent a lot of what NFL teams are supposed to be. Tough, gritty football. And you're supposed to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, competitive, fiery person on that football field. That's what I really love about what the Eagles do there. That being said, it isn't translating to great play on the football field. But before we get to that game, we got to talk about the Thursday night game that everyone probably forgot about, and that's completely fine because it really wasn't much of a showing. The LA Rams won a game against the New Orleans Saints that... Some people, you know, if you didn't watch the game and you just look at the scoreboard, you would think that this was a much closer game than it actually was. But the truth is, despite the kind of close score, the Rams had full control the entire way through. They had full control. It was a convincing win. Like, and yeah, 30 to 22 might sound a little bit misleading if you're, yeah, again, if you're just looking at the score, but I mean, this game was... The entire time. I mean, the Rams' offense was firing on all cylinders. Against the Saints' defense that, before going into that game, I was like, this is a pretty good unit. You know, it's a short week for the Rams. I thought they were going to hold up a little bit more. Obviously, I picked the Rams to win this game because they're the better football team. But um, I was surprised at how they came out of the gate, you know, guns a-blazing. Um, and Puka Nakua having yet another offensive rookie of the year type performance. Monster game by Nakua. There's no doubting that. He had a monster day. You know who didn't have a monster day, though? And this is the main thing that I took away from this game. And it was a good performance by the Rams. Don't get that wrong. But my main takeaway for that team from this game is a negative one. Cup really clearly 
is either playing hurt or he just lost it completely because of the injury. I don't know. I'm hoping it's just a temporary thing, but I don't know how much I rely on him even as a second option for this team. Matthew Stafford is a great quarterback. Nakua is a great receiver, but I don't know if they can rely on Cooper Cup to make the crucial third down catch in the playoffs, and that really concerns me because if Nakua's covered by a really good cornerback, they're going to have to go to someone else, and like I said, I don't really trust Cup to be that guy. Just looking at how he played in this game, he was dropping balls. He wasn't getting open. He was grabbing his shoulder after taking a hit. He's clearly playing hurt. I don't know how much I trust him. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. I mean, I don't think that we should doubt Cooper Cup's ability to play football. I mean, he's the first triple crown wide receiver since, um, what was it, Calvin Johnson? It was Megatron was the last one to do so. Um, I mean, the guy clearly knows how to play the wide receiver position. He plays very much understanding the coverage of the defense. He's easy. His football IQ is on another level. We'll just say that. But he is clearly playing hurt. And I think the physical restraints are the biggest concern right now. But I think if you give him two or three weeks, and I mean, once it's going to be tough for them to clinch a playoff spot. It's going to be pretty difficult. But, yeah, I mean, Cooper Cup, like, I wouldn't let recency bias affect us too much. It was a short week. He was hurt from the Sunday game. Um, like, yeah, like there's a, an amalgamation of factors influencing this performance, and it's not like he played terrible. I mean, what did he have? Six catches, fifty something yards. Yeah, but he he had a lot of targets, a lot of opportunities to make those numbers be a little bit higher. He had a couple of drops that yeah. were concerning. Yeah. Well, it's that, and again, you just see him grabbing himself. And listen, it's one thing if oh yeah, it's just this one injury, but he's been getting banged up all year. Okay. In terms of durability, I don't know how much I trust. Cooper Cup out there. It's later on in the season. This is when these injuries that you've been dealing with throughout the year really start to catch up with you. I don't know. If I'm the Rams right now, I'm looking to kind of... It's hard to say, add someone. Because obviously they're not going to add someone. They have people on their roster. But I'm looking to see what routes I like Tutu Atwell running. I'm looking to see what routes I like Skoranek running. Because those are guys that are going to have to make plays to kind of make up for Cooper Cup not being the guy they thought he would be at this point in the season. Well, and, and I don't again, think it would be. A... In the upcoming future, this can change. But right now, I'm just preparing for the worst case scenario because it does look really concerning. Well, to your point, I think the most concerning thing about the Rams' offense right now is their lack of distribution because only four guys were catching the ball on Thursday night. It was it was Nakua, Robinson, Cup, and Higby. It was those four guys. They didn't check down anything to the running backs. No, you know, screens out of the backfield. Um, n- none of the other tight ends were being used. Tutu Atwell, I, I don't even I don't even remember watching him get on the field at all um, on Thursday night football. It, it's, I think that the concern for this offense is, is they need more mouths to feed in the first place, and they need to be feeding those mouths. Right, because I think they do have talent on that roster. I mean, they got rid of Van Jefferson, which I was a little concerned about them doing that. Even though he's not a great wide receiver, I still think he's a pretty reasonably good talent with some upside. But only four receivers getting the football is something that's pretty unique, especially nowadays in the NFL. I mean, you look at the Chiefs, and they throw to 15 different guys every game. Um, But that's more what I would be concerned about if I was a Rams fan than – 
just Cooper Cup in general because I think that there's plenty of talent to go around. I mean, Kyron Williams is an absolute beast out of the backfield too. Yeah, and there's no doubting that. I, I agree that Williams can be an asset to that passing game. But my point is more of this exact weakness that you're pointing out becomes a little bit more worrisome when yeah. it isn't Nakua as a 1A and then Cooper Cup as a 1B. Both of them can pop off for 200 yards any week. It doesn't look like that same Cooper Cup. It really yeah. doesn't. And I'm hoping he recovers sometime soon. He very well can. But right now, just looking at that Saints game, I have a lot of doubts about that. Now, let's move on to the next game. Bengals at Steelers. Saturday game. This is two teams that are obviously fighting to make playoffs. Steelers are probably fighting more for that winning record because for some reason that's their Super Bowl. Uh, Steelers ended up getting the upset here. Which is surprising to a lot of people. I thought this was an interesting matchup just because we knew the Steelers were going to win on the line of scrimmage, at least when they were on defense. But Jake Browning could get the ball out quick. Even without Jamar Chase, we still had faith that Browning can get the ball out quick. Well, What exactly do you think led to this not working out the way so many people expected? Well, the Bengals' offense was clearly a concern this game, but I, I think that whenever you give up 34 points to Mason Rudolph mm-hmm. and a Steelers offense that literally fired their offensive coordinator three weeks ago, four weeks ago maybe now, like I'd say that was more of the problem for me. I was like, how can you not figure out how to stop George Pickens? Um, how was how is Jalen Warren taking your starting middle linebacker and making him into a a, a waffle? on the field a five foot nine I mean God bless the kid he plays his heart out but a five foot nine 205 pound running back is taking your six foot two 230 pound linebacker and putting him on his back like uh, the Bengals defense was the biggest concern for me in this game and I understand the offense didn't really get going until the beginning of the second half where T Higgins had that long touchdown but yeah I I just don't know how as a defensive coordinator you can come out and let this happen especially on a Saturday and listen, the Bengals have the talent to stop on Mason Rudolph. I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. But Well, and just the Steelers' yeah. offense that's anemic for yeah. weeks. I, that's for always weeks. the word used to describe the Steelers' offense, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it's spot it's on. The only word it's I have for it. Any offense that is trying to compete for a playoff spot with Mason Rudolph playing quarterback or Mitch Trubisky playing quarterback, I feel like that's the perfect word to describe it. George Pickens did have a day, though. I'm glad that you mentioned him. The Browning, I mean, he, the Browning magic fell off, though. And I, I want to hear you admit that because I know the Bengals' defense didn't play well, but just as much as you want to blame the Bengals' defense, I would blame the Bengals' offense, too, because neither side of the ball played well. What is it about the Steelers that gave them so many problems here? Um... Well, about the Steelers' defense that gave the Bengals' offense. Well, first of all, Jake Browning, there's never been magic to how Jake Browning's performing. Like, let's be honest. Like, the Bengals have a pretty, I would say, above-average offensive scheme in terms of getting their best athletes the football. And, uh, you know, 
using route concepts that play to the benefit of their wide receivers. I think they have a very balanced group. Even with Jamar Chase out of the lineup, T. Higgins is still one of the better receivers in the NFL. And I think that Browning was a big beneficiary of that. Also, Chase Brown getting used in the offense finally at this point in the season. Um, that was a big thing, too. I mean, Chase Brown, we didn't see him get the football until Joe Burrow was out for the season, really. So you're mixing in all these guys. They have plenty of mouths to feed, and they have plenty of guys that can do damage with the ball in their hands. I think their biggest problem against the Steelers was they weren't benefiting on run after catch, and they weren't staying ahead of the sticks. Like, every single time they were coming out for a drive, they were playing from behind, and it didn't seem as if they were getting those layups um, down the field and string together long drives, which is what you have to do against a team like Pittsburgh. They're not going to give up the big play very often. I know T. Higgins had, what, like a 75-yard touchdown reception, but other than that, the, the Steelers' defense, very stout at tackling, very good at keeping the quarterback in the pocket. Their pass rushing scheme is great. T.J. Watt's a guy that, you know, if he's not going to get to the quarterback, he's going to be batting down passes as well, and if you're going to play the Steelers, you need to run the football and you need to do it successfully. Joe Mixon, I believe, I think he only had probably, what, 40 rushing yards that game. And Joe Mixon's been a pivotal part of this offense. Um, Chase Brown, they tried to get him the ball twice. Um, and I believe he had two receptions. Um, that just didn't pan out particularly well. I mean, just in terms of the offense's game, they just were not doing anything conducive to running a successful um running a successful unit and it kind of showed up um you know at, at those specific points where it was just like you're at second and 10 third and 10 and like those are the hardest downs to overcome and the Steelers were also running a lot more zone in this game they normally see from them and that's part of the reason they were so much better at limiting the yards after catch and all that stuff normally they're a lot more of a man heavy team that made that shift here that could also be part of the reason Jake Browning's reads were a little bit off because he expected a more, you know, Bengals wide receivers versus man coverage type of situation. So they game planned around that. The game plan has to change on the fly. They really don't know how to do that with a backup quarterback in with a limited playbook. And, well, we saw what happened. Yeah, when you don't have any zone coverage beaters, right, like that's where Jamar Chase, I, I think at least, like that's where his presence or I guess lack of presence was really felt in this game. Mm -hmm. Because you know going into that game that the Steelers are not going to be in man coverage because they don't want to man up on Jamar. Um, and regardless of whether he was playing or not, like that's just one of those players that good luck. Good luck if you put a corner and just say stick to him the whole game. Even if he's got safety help over the top, that's a guy that can make you pay. And even though T. Higgins a very good contested catch type guy, the best way to beat him too is zone coverage. You know, having a safety come creep down and make those big hits. Um, and rock back to the deep third of the field or, you know, making those kinds of reads. Um, the last thing that you want to do is put these guys in a situation where they can make those kinds of plays. And also, I don't think the blitzing was that elaborate from the Steelers' defense either. They were getting pass rush pretty decently with just four guys. Well, yeah, and that's exactly what we expected. That's a Steelers' pass rush that is very threatening, even without sending blitzers. And they need as many guys in coverage as possible just because they're not a great coverage group. And that Bengals offensive line didn't play great. We saw that coming. It was more of a question of how will the Bengals be able to operate just through a quick passing game? We know they can, but will it work on this specific night? The answer was no. That's why the that's part of the reason, at least, why the Bengals didn't end up winning that game against their division rival. Now, you want to talk about a game that 
was way closer than expected. Look at this Bills-Chargers game. Now, say what you want. Oh, interim head coaches in their first game, they always, you know, cause a lot of problems. And that's true. There's definitely truth under that. But this is Giff Smith. Jiff Smith. I don't know how you want to pronounce this. I'm going to say Giff Smith. <laughs> I think it's Giff Smith. Yeah. Giff Smith and Easton Stick against Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Stefan Dix. Just way too many talented guys. This shouldn't have been a battle for this long, but it ended up being one. A very tight game, an exciting game to watch. What did you think of this duel? Um, if anything, the, the Bills have been suspect all season, right? I, I wasn't necessarily surprised that the Chargers were left hanging around in this game, particularly a Chargers team that is beaten up, no starting quarterback, just fired their head coach. I mean, everything going into this game was pointing towards the Bills being successful, but I really like the Chargers with the spread in a game like this. You know, whenever you're playing on these kinds of Saturdays, you have one less day to prepare, one less day to get your body ready for these types of moments. The Bills' offense, I was surprised that Diggs didn't get the ball as much as he should have, or at least didn't have as much production as he should have. Um, Playoff Gabe, we obviously saw a glimpse of that um, in that game. But, I mean, for the most part, uh, like, I kind of expected this in in a weird way. Like, as much as people are surprised that this game was close, I'm equally as, like, like not (laughs) you know what i'm saying maybe you're not surprised by the fact the game is close but there's one specific thing that i think everyone and their mother is surprised by how did the no 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 not him (laughs) not north dakota state university legend easton stick yeah the chargers run defense that has been so bad all year long the bills go into this game after running all over the Dallas Cowboys. They try and do a similar thing in this one, and it doesn't work at all. The Chargers' run defense really stepped up. Extremely surprising performance by that front seven. What did you think of that? Well, I think it was the most important thing for keeping them in the game in the first place. And, you know, with no Nick, uh, with I was about to say Nick Bosa, with no Joey Bosa in the lineup, I didn't think that they were going to be as successful as they were either. But... I think that the way Brandon Staley was coaching up the defense was the main problem with why they weren't able to stop the run because I do think they have competent players in the box and on that front seven for making the stops that they need. But what Staley's always been a light box guy. Staley has always prioritized having guys in the secondary. He's always wanted to have a lighter box, you know, kind of. It's a give and a take. Right. If you want to prioritize the guys in coverage, okay, then you're going to be lighter in the box. And with Staley gone, there's no one to enforce that. As a result, Giff Smith, Jiff Smith, whatever you want to say, he ended up focusing more on stopping the run, even though he's facing off against Josh Allen, and we saw what happened. Did that contribute to Gabriel Davis having the game that he had? Probably, but the point is they shut down the run game That seemed like one of the top things Smith wanted to do in this game. And, well, at least that worked for them. When it goes back to one of the principles of football, right? People, we've neglected the run game in this era. Well, at least how important the run game is. But if you can't stop the run, you can't stop anything. Because if a team's getting five yards a clip, if they're successfully running the football, 
regularly, staying ahead of the sticks, is w- which is what I talked about as to why the Bengals couldn't be successful on offense on that same day. Um, if a team cannot run the football regularly, well then, okay, well they can't control the clock as much. Um, dropping, Forcing a quarterback to drop back and throw 30 to 40 times a game that's always a detriment. Like most of the time when teams that win football games, their quarterback isn't throwing the ball that much. It's They're staying ahead of the sticks and they're running the football. But they came in with a very simple plan. They were like, look, our starting quarterback's out. We have a lot of guys banged up on defense. Um, and just in general, this team is in, is in no position to really compete for a playoff spot. But they were like, look, we're going to stick to what we know about football. We're going to load up the box. We're going to give James Cook a rough time. We're going to give Leonard Fournette a rough time, which they did, um, despite getting, what what was it? He had 20, over 20 carries, I believe, maybe just 20 carries. But despite his workload on that day, not a whole lot of production from James Cook. And he did have moments where he, you know, he'd break off a nice run, something like that. But for the most part, stuff in the box, you know, just shutting down the run to start with and forcing the game into Josh Allen's hands, that's the best way to win against the Bills in the first place because just as much as Josh Allen can win a football game, Josh Allen can also lose a football game. And I don't think he played terribly bad um, in the Chargers game. I would have liked to see better. Um, And, you know, having an interception against a defense that I don't really think is that good is also cause for concern. Um Allen's always been that way. Again, the Bills did win this game, so it's not supposed to sound overly negative right here. But, but I mean, at the same time, like we're going to talk about this with the Eagles game. Just because you won the football game, first of all, doesn't mean that you played a good football game. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And also, I think the Bills just did not really – like I don't think that they were that worried about this that game this week because the body language wasn't – there, there wasn't as much of a sense of urgency as I saw in previous weeks from the Bills. Mm-hmm. 100%. I want to move on to another game that would be considered exactly what you said. Yeah, you know, this team won, but you didn't play well. The Jets beat the Commanders by a solid two points. Wow. And, you know, that, that's... On paper, that's like whatever, right? The Commanders and Jets, they're around the same tier. But then you look, oh, the Jets had their best first quarter performance in terms of points scored since 2014. They racked up 17 points in that first quarter, and the game still ended up being decided by two points? Really? Really? I mean, that is unbelievable. You know, that first quarter, by the way, great performance by the Jets in that first quarter, without a doubt. I mean, blocking the punt the defense getting the pick all that great stuff happened for them worked very well but eventually Washington put in a competent NFL caliber quarterback and the Jets completely crumbled including their defense that has been a strength for them all year long it shouldn't be as simple as putting in Jacoby Brissett and then all of a sudden you're dismantling the New York Jets it really shouldn't be, especially because this defense is supposed to be a lot better than it. It has been a lot better than that all year, but still, Sal is supposed to be fighting for his job right now, and this is the type of game that gets you fired. If they lost, I don't know how secure Sal's job would be, even though they're supposed to be going all in. On the thing I was most concerned about, I'll be honest with you, I'm really glad that you talked about the defense. The pass rush was almost nowhere to be found against the Commanders. And against the Commanders' offensive line that I would consider to be one of the worst in the NFL, 
um, but a lack of getting to the quarterback and just, I wouldn't say an inability, but just like an inability to generate pressure against a team that were like that week, like that should have been the go-to. Like if you can get to the quarterback, that'll solve every problem in the secondary, everything else. But I don't think they got creative enough with the blitz packages. I don't think the pass rushing scheme was at all putting the pass rushers in a position to go and win their one-on-one battles or even get one-on-one battles in the first place. But that, as far as the Jets' defense is concerned, I thought that second half was just, you know, they had to throw the football, so why are these guys not cocked back running all kinds of stunts up front? Only one sack throughout the entire game. Keep in mind that Sam Howell is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. At one point, it was looking historic just how much he was getting sacked. The fact that the Jets only won this game by two. I mean, they they got dismantled towards the end. It was awful. It was a terrible performance. And, you know, maybe the Jets were just trying to save the tank. Like, that's the joke you want to make. But the fact is, these coaches are trying to save their job. These players are trying to save their job. And this is what ended up happening. It is well, the turnovers did not be there. Didn't Simeon have a fumble and an interception? Mm-hmm. No, Simeon yeah. had an awful game, too. Simeon absolutely yeah. did turning the ball over, all that stuff, against an awful defense. When you know it's bad when Brees Hall leads your team in rushing and receiving yards. Yeah. <laughs> like It was it was a terrible yeah. performance by the New York Jets. Again, this is a game no one really should care about. Both of these teams should be rooting to lose. But, you know, it still is very concerning in terms of where these teams are. Obviously, these teams are trying to win. Both of these head coaches are on a hot seat. They want to win right now. And the fact that both teams look this bad, you know, Washington didn't play a great game because they let up 17 points in that first quarter. But then... For the rest of the game, I got to say, they did not play bad football. Yeah, no. The second they made that change from Howell to Brissett, things completely changed. That being said, the first quarter still happened. Right? Yeah. That still is like, hey, Washington, what are you doing? You got outscored 17 to nothing in the first quarter. Then you also want to say later on, hey, Jets, what are you guys doing? Because you got outscored 21 to 3 in the entire second half. It was just an ugly game. It was a weird game. It, it, was, it was terrible. It was a terrible display of football. That's yeah. what it was. By two teams that are, you know, they have nothing to win, really. But still, these coaches are trying to win. You want to see more than that. And it just simply wasn't. It, it was very strange. But now let's move on to some legitimate NFL teams. The Detroit Lions. Congratulations to them. For the first time in 30 years, they're going to be winning that NFC North division. Or just winning their division, period. Because the last time they won it, it was the AFC Central, I believe was the name of it. Great achievement yeah. by them. Let's not laugh. Hold in your laughter. Uh, let's give them their credit. Detroit looking really good right now. The offense is still a little suspect, but if they can hold teams to 24 points, 27 points, I have a lot of confidence in that offense and their ability to win the game in spite of their defense not having a great game. Yeah, and I don't think the defense played terrible. Oh, no, not I'll in be- this one, but it's also Nick Mullins. 
Yeah, well, and, and I liked a lot of what Aaron Glenn was doing. Well, look, look, Nick Mullins, obviously not a great quarterback, and, and I think if Kirk Cousins plays, the Vikings actually win this football game. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and that's but the concern. Liked, that's the concern. Yeah. But I liked what Aaron Glenn was doing on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of different looks. I like the DBs getting involved as pass rushers a lot more, too, mixing up those looks. I mean, Brian Branch getting a little bit involved in the backfield um, and stuff. Like, I, and I believe it was a fight to Melifonwu had two sacks well i want to say oh no it wasn't milifondo who was it that had the game winning pick it was a name really difficult to pronounce oh my goodness game winning interception db um it, was, it wasn't reeves maven it was no. i fought to it was i fought to mil oh it might have been milifondo was it, it milifondo the... he he had an yeah i i believe it was yes it was it was it was yeah, so yeah, he had a yeah. day, huh? I did not know that was the same person. Wow! So he had two sacks and a pick. That's a defensive player of the year type of performance. I mean, from a from a guy that just generally like, I mean, he hasn't seen the field a whole lot this year, and he's kind of been filling in with all the injuries in the secondary. I mean, no well, now the guys are coming uh, back, which is great for them, but still, yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, yeah, they they forced four turnovers through the air, though. They got four interceptions. That's not going to happen a lot, yet they still let up 24 points. That's my concern. And that's why I'm saying the but Nick Mullins is there. Because it's very true. This is a playoff team. We just said they're locked in to be a top four seed. If they want to win in the playoffs, they can't be playing teams this tight when you're winning the turnover battle by this much. Okay? Uh, just yeah, that simple. The- it's winning the turnover battle, and and I like that you alluded to the fact that this offense looked like weird. You know, not like it's not like they look terrible because I did like the heavy dose of Jameer Gibbs in this game. Um, I like that you know they were going to their key guys. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown had a pretty good performance as well. Um, Laporta was almost nowhere to be found though, which was weird to me because I don't think Minnesota has many guys on that back end that could even match up well with a tight end um, in a lot of scenarios. But the offense did look suspect in a lot of ways, and it, and it was cause for concern um, because it's not like they turned over the ball. I don't even think they turned over the ball. They, at all. they had a game. turnover. They had a Jimmy, they had a fumble. fumble. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jimmy had a fumble. But um, for the most part, like they on paper, they should have won this game, and on paper, they did win this game. Mm-hmm. But I agree that it should not been a not should not been as close as it was absolutely Um, the one thing that i do want to give their defense a lot of credit for is of course being opportunistic when the ball's in the air making the interceptions they're supposed to of course i got to give them their credit for that yeah but what they did to ty chandler who was coming off a great week they they stopped him completely now i do think the vikings abandoned that run game a little bit too early they only had had eight touches Yeah. yeah he only had eight touches and one of them was a touchdown so it's hard to say, like, oh, yeah, they absolutely killed him. But when he did get the ball, you know, making a opposing offense abandon the run game, it is an achievement for the defense. That being said, I do want to see the Vikings running backs get more than eight carries throughout the entire game, or ten carries throughout the entire game. Alexander Madison had two, went for negative one yard. I feel like give Ty Chandler more carries in a game where your quarterback is throwing four picks might be 
might be a better idea. I get it that you love Justin Jefferson and what he could do through the air, but you got to compliment him with a legitimate rushing attack. You're not going to get a legitimate rushing attack if you give up on your running back after just eight carries. Still, though, the Lions deserve their credit for stopping the run game when the Vikings did try and run it. Yeah, but then on that same token, I mean, K.J. Osborne had an absolute day (laughs) coming out of nowhere. I mean, I mean, Jordan Addison was barely seeing the football to begin with, but like Justin Jefferson had a Justin Jefferson type performance. Hawkinson played pretty well. K.J. Osborne had probably his best game all season against them. So like as much as you want to stop the run, the fact that Nick Bolins is slinging it up and down the field to a wide receiver three. Um, against your defense is also cause for concern. And also, to be fair, going into this game, I predicted that the Vikings would keep it much closer than it was because the Vikings will do that with any team. I, and yes. I have to give Kevin yes. O'Connell his props. 100%. He's done a phenomenal job with this team despite the injuries, despite all everything that's been going on with this team. It seems as if they can't catch a break this season, and yet they still have seven wins. And, and you're 100% right with that. Kevin O'Connell deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing keeping this team competitive constantly week after week despite injuries to one quarterback, despite a quarterback severely underperforming, despite a rookie quarterback playing, despite now Nick Mullins playing, despite Justin Jefferson going down with injury. Now they're not going to have TJ Hawkinson for the rest of the season. I mean, they are really making magic happen despite the absurd amount of hills they have to climb. But we still... Again, the Vikings still can make the playoffs, so I don't even want to say, like, how much does it really matter if they can't make the playoffs? Because because they can, right? It, it is I a mean, testament. they're still in contention. It's going yeah. to be a tough hill to climb, but, I mean, they mm-hmm. could definitely, um, especially if they went out these next two weeks, which I don't know what their upcoming schedule is looking like. Actually, I can look that up right now. Um, yeah, well, again, I, I think abandoning the run well, was the again, so Packers, <laughs> then who? Then the Lions again, so mm. probably looking like at least one more loss uh, to keep them under five. If they could win both, and then they probably need some team to lose out or not well, lose if out. They beat the they need one next team. week. That'll help them out a whole lot. Yeah. But. Well, because Green Bay is one of the teams fighting for that spot. I would like to see the Vikings in the. Pl- eh, no, I wouldn't. I don't want to see Nick Mullins in the playoffs. No, they're I'm just sorry. frisky. They're they're frisky right now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, like, and that's good. It's a testament to their coaching staff. It absolutely is. But. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to see Nick Mullins in the playoffs, personally. And I'm sorry to Nick Mullins. The last thing I want is another uh, Mike Flores situation, but this time it's Nick Mullins talking about Patrick Snyder. Uh, well, look, we're already gonna we're already gonna be talking about Flacco in the playoff, <laughs> which I, I mean that's a pretty good segue to this. This yeah, uh, let's let's go right in. Joe Flacco. Speaking of Flacco. Yeah, dude. Joe Flacco. Against the Houston Texans, Case Keenum versus Joe Flacco for a playoff spot, pretty much. I mean, where do you want to head with this game? Because I feel like there's two sides to look at with this specific game. Both sides heavily important. I mean, that Browns defense is a great unit. Flacco is playing good ball. Amari Cooper, the type of game he just put up. And then you look at it from the Texans side, right? All of a sudden, they really need to fight to get into the playoffs. C.J. Stroud, they need him back. They need him back badly because this offense can't be operated to the level that it needs to without him there. So so where do you want to take this discussion? Tell me. Well, I think if we learned anything from this game on the Texan side of things, I think the Browns are a great football team. 
and the fact that they've been able to string together wins without their starting quarterback, then signing Joe Flacco off of his couch um, in the middle of the season and getting him to come out and play as well as he has. We'll get to Amari Cooper in a second, but I think that the Texans' recent um, inability to produce on the offensive side of the ball is a testament to how great C.J. Stroud is more than anything else. Um, And I understand that Tank Dell's out for the season. They haven't had him. But even, like, I mean, guys like Noah Brown were having 150-yard receiving games. Nico Collins was looking like uh, like a very good wide receiver, too, in the NFL at many points in the season. And then now they're just unable to, to make anything work. And I think that's just the lack of Stroud in the lineup, as you said. Yeah, Stroud being out is detrimental. And again, they yeah. they need him back because they're still in the playoff race. You know, they still can win the division, crazily enough. But they need stuff to start going their way. They need to start winning these games. And listen, the Browns are a tough football team. I know that defense is great. It's hard to beat a team when Amari Cooper's having the type of game that Amari Cooper had. But, I mean, Derek Stingley got embarrassed. The defense has to help up out the backup quarterback. And that's something I noticed. They're, they didn't do enough to help a quarterback like Case Keenum win this game. They didn't. The defense has to play better. Derek Stingley got embarrassed. Like I said, Amari Cooper had a great game. A lot of that is Amari Cooper being Amari Cooper, but a big reason that that happened was also the defense wasn't too good. The pass rush wasn't doing the damage it needed to. I mean, there's a lot of I other factors here. I don't think got sacked a single time. I mean, I know they got Dorian Thompson-Robinson on one of those plays. Um... But I, if Flacco didn't get sacked a single time back there, he had all day to get the ball to Amari Cooper and Njoku even. Like, I mean, and that was really the the full story for the Browns. I mean, Amari Cooper accounted for, like, what, three-fourths of the Browns' passing game. And granted, going up against a young corner, um, and Derek Singley, and a relatively young secondary, um, that's kind of what's going to happen when you're a veteran wide receiver and really one of the best guys of the entire decade um, of the 2010s coming out there but I mean it was really just the story of one one wide receiver carrying this team to victory I mean the running game wasn't particularly great Jerome Ford had less than two yards of carry <laughs> um, <laughs> in this game I mean he got to punch it in on the goal line at one point but um and even Kareem Hunt Kareem Hunt got like seven touches and was running for like 1.6 yards <laughs> carry, yeah. I, so. I mean the, the run defense did its job okay yeah there, there's no doubt in that but allowing Amari Cooper who's been in the league for a while been in the league for a very long time, has been very good for a while, like you said. Allowing him to have a career day like this is monumental, and it's going to elevate his team to a win no matter what. He racked up 265 yards and two touchdowns on 11 catches. 17th all-time, by the way, for the record. That's on single-game receiving yards performances. Uh, yeah, he's 17th all-time, and he has the Browns record. Yeah, I know he broke the franchise record. You you can't you can't let that happen as a defense with a playoff spot on the line when your backup quarterback is in. You know you're not going to be able to win a shootout. You have to restrict that. Whether that's double coverage, bracketing him every play, whatever you have to do, just do it. Because like you said, the run game wasn't going. I don't know how much I trust Flacco to operate the offense with the number one option out like that's the thing it's I know it's easier said than done but you have to restrict him the second a receiver hits that 150 170 yard mark 
the rest of the game, he should be locked up just because of the amount of assets, the amount that you're schematic or schematically planning around him. Just the amount of assets that you should be dedicating to him. It, he shouldn't get another catch after that. He really shouldn't. And again, it's easier said than done. But as a coach, that's your job. Defensive mastermind, D'Amico Rhines, we know you're better than this. We know you have something for this situation. Just go out there and show it. Go out there and do something about it. Because this is a playoff spot on the line. They could still win the division. Well, I think this begs the question for the Texans, right? I mean, I don't think any of us expected them to be this good. Um, especially as early as they were and as good as C.J. Stroud was this season. But, I mean, there's clearly problems with this defense as much. Uh, we got to give D'Amico Ryans a little bit of credit here because if you go and look at this unit, outside of Will Anderson, who they drafted in the first round, and Derek Stingley, who was a first-round pick a few years ago, this is a defense that's relatively devoid of talent. Sure. And D'Amico Ryans sure. has just been making up for a lot of it. But you just head. said Derek Stingley was one of those first-round picks. This is Stingley's responsibility. If yeah. you can and again, I'm not trying to throw shade at D'Amico Ryan. She's having a great year. But if you can't make that work, then you gotta give him the little bit of help that he needs. You you just can't let this happen. It's not like you had an undrafted rookie going one on one with Amari Cooper constantly. It was Derek Stingley and then devote a little something extra. Whether that's bracketing him with Jimmy Ward or whatever you have to do, just do it. Because you can't, again, this is playoffs on the line, likely. You got to do a little bit more to help. Well, and it's also concerning because they've been significantly better at home than on the road this season. Mm -hmm. They were 5-2 and two going into this game at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that their other home losses were, actually one of them came to the Panthers, which is a little bit of an embarrassing loss. But, like, I don't know. I like I, I expected the Browns to win this one and I expected them to win it. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be more because of their defense though. <laughs> I don't think any yeah. listen, if you told me the game was gonna be thirty six to twenty, I would have or thirty six to twenty two, but didn't tell me which scores scored which number of points, I would assume the Texans won it. Yeah, right. Well just in terms of because that's been the story of the Browns the entire season. I mean, this defense has been almost single-handedly winning them some of these games. I mean, when they beat the 49ers, probably the most impressive defensive performance I'd seen all season up until the Ravens, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit. But, like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, especially, I did not expect the over to hit on this game at all right. <laughs> going into it yeah. as a betting man. No, it was it was a shocker for sure. Now, another thing that was shocking was the fact that the Panthers and Bryce Young almost beat the Green Bay Packers. Got very close to it. The Packers only beat the Panthers by a whopping three points. We've seen that Young really struggled under pressure. All season long we've seen it. Yet, Joe Barry, what does he do? He decides to not even attempt to get pressure on him at all. For the entire How does he game. still have a job? I don't know because this Why defense. Why was he is hired? Why was he it's, hired? It's, he was terrible with Cleveland. Know. He was this defense awful. is way too talented to not be getting pressure on the quarterback. And this is a quarterback that, like, look, I was not ready to sell my Bryce Young stock, even though they haven't been playing well, because Bryce Young is one of those quarterbacks that, with a clean pocket, with the ability to get the ball to his athletes, like. He, he could still make any kind of defense pay. And the fact that they were not scheming up better pass rushes, the fact that they weren't blitzing nearly as as much, um, 
Yeah, I would honestly the story of this game for me was what was going on with the Packers defense, especially in the second half. It's it's an awful unit. It's been an awful unit all all year, Dom. It's been awful. Yeah, and I guess I haven't watched enough of the Packers defense. Uh, normally, when I'm watching the All Twenty Two, it's Jordan Love type <laughs> film. With he had a relatively decent game. I don't think that he played terrible. I mean, the Aaron Jones is the here. only reason they won. Yeah. Only reason the defense played such a pitifully poor game against a offense that isn't that good against a quarterback that has looked really bad a lot of the time this year. Why do you allow him to just pick you apart like that? Let it happen for a drive, sure. But then from that point forward, just do what everyone else has been doing. Blitz him. Throw something some throw something at him. Take advantage of the fact that this offensive line isn't overly good. Yeah, your front four might not be winning. That, That's on them. They should be winning. Okay, Joe Barry, you got to help him out a little bit. Throw some pressure. We've seen Bryce Young can't really pick that blitz apart. We've seen a lot of blitzes getting to him. Why don't you just do what works? Why do you have to be different? Why is it that you see being different isn't working and you still decide to continue not to change your defensive scheme to do what everyone else did and what worked so well all year. That's the baffling part. This game being close is 100% on Joe Barry and the front four oh, not really question. doing much. But still, mainly Joe Barry. Yeah, one well, and also, like, with all due respect to the, the Panthers receivers, like, I, I don't think that there was anybody. Like, I mean, DJ Chark had an absolute game, and Adam Thielen was pretty serviceable as well. But I don't think that there's anybody on this Carolina receiving core that I would have been concerned about, at least on the back end in terms of like, yeah, I can send an extra pass rusher. Yeah, I can mix up the looks a little bit and confuse this rookie quarterback. Like, it's it's embarrassing in so many different ways, whether you consider the experience of this team, the fact that their head coach got fired, when you consider that the offensive line's not good, the receiving core is bottom five in the NFL, and it's a rookie quarterback, which I think I already said. But... Yeah, like, I mean, with, with, with the amalgam, everything in this game was in favor of the Packers' defense, and somehow they gave up 30 points. And 14 in the fourth quarter that got the Panthers back into this game, and they nearly kicked a field goal to tie it up at the end. Yeah, it, it was a bad week. Again, good job, Jordan Love, for making up for it, but if Joe Barry's there again next year, the fact Joe Barry hasn't been fired already this year, it's beyond baffling. It is beyond baffling. Yeah, it's cause for concern. Now, another game that really causes concern for a team that should be playing a lot better than this, but I wouldn't say it's overly surprising just because we know the identi- we know the identity of this team that was very close to getting the upset. The Tennessee Titans in Tennessee nearly upset the Seattle Seahawks. Good game, right? I mean, was really close. The thing I find very ironic was Tariq Woolen got benched because he was struggling as a tackler, and then he ended up making the game-winning tackle inbounds, preventing the, I don't even remember who it was, but he prevented the ball carrier from getting out of bounds and tackled him inbounds, winning them the game. Keep in mind, was Woolen it, was got it a It might have been Chigakonkwo. I, I think it was Chigozian Makonkwo, yeah. It, it um, probably was, but still, I just yeah. find that really funny. Tariq Woolen got benched earlier this year because he wasn't a great tackler. And now he just made a game-winning tackle. 
Yeah. I Well, t- to be fair, I have to give some credit to Mike Vrabel here. I knew that the Titans were going to keep this one close. Yeah, that's what um, they are as a team. Even with a new quarterback in, yeah. whether it's Ryan Tannehill, Will Levis, it could be Malik Willis in there, it doesn't matter. They're going to play every team tight because that's their identity as a football team. Well, yeah, and I was really impressed with the Titans' defense in this game. I thought they played a pretty good football Great game, all game. things considered. Um, especially when you look at what, what the Seahawks were able to do against the Cowboys offensively. And the Cowboys have a very talented group and a really well-coached group by Dan Quinn. And the fact that the Titans, in very favorable weather for for good offense, um, came out and they played a, a very competitive game. I mean, for the most part, they were up 17-13 to 13, um, with the exception of, I believe it was that final drive by the Seahawks at the end that kind of put them up. But... Yeah, I mean, like, I, I got to give a lot of props to, to Vrabel and that coaching staff because what they've been able to do with the with the lack or the void of talent on this team so far and just the revolving door at quarterback, um, yeah, that, that was what I took away from the game. Also, shout-out to Derrick Henry for having the Titans' only touchdown pass of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it normally, like, we've seen Derrick Henry throw that, like, hop pass a lot now. I don't think it's ever looked like an RPO until this one, though. I might be completely wrong, but this one looked it was like a dime. Lot I gotta say, he, he put it right on the money. Yeah, it looked like a lot more of a read than anything, right? It looked like, as opposed to just, oh, I'm gonna fake, almost like the Tebow thing. I'm gonna fake the run and then I'm gonna hop and pass it. This time, it looked like he was legitimately reading something, and then. Tossed it. I, I don't know. Yeah. To me, it looked like an RPO this time around. I didn't study this play close enough. I just saw it happen live. So. No, I when I saw it happen live, I was like, oh, yeah. has this always been an RPO? Because I swear it was an RPO this time. I don't know if it always looks like this, but this time I really noticed, like, oh, he's, like, reading the safety and making sure that they're coming up before he passes it. And yeah. that makes me question, how many times have they tried to run this? And it didn't end up working out, and he just ran it instead. Because for all we know, they've been calling this like ten times a game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that actually. <laughs> Re- really interesting. Again, I-, I don't like what Tim Kelly's been doing as the Tennessee uh, offensive coordinator. But if he has been calling a repeated Derrick Henry hop pass RPO like ten times a game, maybe I'll change my opinions on him a little bit. Well, and to be fair, it's not like he's got much to work with as an. Yeah. Like I understand Derrick Henry's well, very no, good. No, but I, like, I, I hate, I hate how he's using Derrick Henry, and I hate the way he uses a lot of these guys. I don't. Yeah. The reality is, on first and ten, they should not be running the ball with Derrick Henry up the middle at a shotgun. It's just not. It isn't what you do with him. It, it just isn't. Derrick Henry no. needs to get he needs his momentum. He, yes. He yeah. needs to get his momentum running forward before he gets the ball. He can't be taking like a horizontal step and then going vertical. He has to be going vertical all the way. I I don't get that. And that's been pissing me off all year. I've been saying that all season long. But I agree. I, I just found that really funny how <laughs> it, it's very possible they've been running that play repeatedly all season long. Or maybe it's not even an RPO and I'm an idiot. I don't know. To me, it looked like an RPO. 
when I was watching. I'll, I'll look at the all twenty-two and get back to you with an answer. But I'm gonna need some time to to sort through the reads on this play if it is an RPO, <laughs> um, and maybe maybe what the play call was. But yeah, and- yeah, I. And also, I can I give some credit to the Titans' defensive line getting to the quarterback? Oh here? yeah, oh yeah, they had a great game. Gerald Landry played pretty well. I I thought I saw some great reps from Arden Key, who got a sack, as well. Um, Danico Autry came up big at some points. I mean, I just really liked how that unit was playing that front four, um, and I wanted to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now let's move on to the Colts game against the Falcons. This one. I know the Colts have been fighting. They've been winning a lot of games that they shouldn't. But I took Atlanta when I was trying to predict games here. And it's because just really? how mu- it's because of just how much Arthur Smith needs to win these Like, who has more of an incentive to win these games right now? I know the Colts are fighting for a playoff spot. But this is in Atlanta, one. And two, Arthur Smith is fighting for his job. He decided to finally start playing fantasy football this week. And he gave the ball to B. John Robinson. B. John Robinson. Finally. Yeah, right? B. John Robinson had. He was a leading receiver and leading rusher. Yeah. He had racked up 122 yards from scrimmage in this game. Multiple well, touches. Damn time, right? You spend right? the seventh you would overall think, pick on. You would think. And yeah. then, you know who the other leading receivers were? The other two leading receivers were for the team? It was, well, Pitts in London, wasn't it? Yep, the two other first-round picks that they spent a top-ten pick on. Look well, at that. Well, let's not forget, they still got Johnny Smith involved a little bit, well, too. Yep, they, a, they, got him, they got him his four catches for 32 yards, 100%. But Drake London, Kyle Pitts, B. John Robinson, those are the guys that should be getting the ball early and often. I like the offense a lot more with Taylor Heineke playing. I think this is going to be... I could see the Falcons ending the season strong. Also, Jesse Bates, he he's playing lights out. He he's playing the best football out of any safety in the NFL right now. Other than he, Kyle Hamilton, other than Kyle Hamilton. I will say though, in terms of like free safety, just like guy on the back end of the defense, yes. he's the best free safety in the NFL, yes. and it's not even close. He is playing great football. He's been playing great football all year. He's a key reason they won this game. Been making remarkable plays. The Minshew magic. It hasn't even really been him, but it's tough to consistently score big points with Minshew as your starting quarterback. Sorry to break it to you. Falcons defense did a good job holding the Colts just to 10. The Falcons offense was able to score. It was just a well-rounded football game by the Falcons. Arthur Smith, I really can see saving his job. And I'm not saying that I love Arthur Smith. I'm telling you, Arthur Smith is going to get at least uh, eight more games next season. Um, with this team, or at least I think if I was an owner that, that he should, because he, he's, I, I think he's a good coach. I don't this know game if he, I don't know coach. if he should, but I think he will. That's how I feel right now. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I, I'll respect it. I, maybe he'll prove me wrong in those eight games next year. I don't know, but I think he'll make it to the off season. I really do. I think he'll make it to 2024. Is that a good or a bad thing? I don't know. But I do think that he's going to save his job in these next two weeks, and he already started to save it a little bit by beating a playoff team in the Colts. Now, speaking of playoffs, two teams fighting for playoff spots. The Jacksonville Jaguars in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay rolled all over them. 
Jacksonville, very disappointing performance by them. This is the fourth straight loss for them. Really, really frightening. Tough I saw game. this coming, by the way. You, I, but I did took... you did you think that it was going to be yes. almost like a blowout? Really, you did. What made you think yeah. that? Uh, well, just because, first of all, I think the Buccaneers are incredibly disrespected. Sure. Um, and I think that Baker Mayfield, I, I mean, we talked about this on last week's episode, actually, but Baker Mayfield's been playing some great football. And, crazy take. Uh, crazy. I'm sorry to interrupt. But crazy take. No, no, please. Please share it. As of 2023, week 15, Baker Mayfield is playing better football than Trevor Lawrence. I think so. I don't think that's a crazy take. No, but it's just insane to say that out loud. I, I want to, like, regurgitate. I want to vomit after saying that. And I'm not even, like, a Baker Mayfield hater, but it's just, they were, they were this is the golden game. boy. Trevor they Lawrence is the golden boy. And Baker Mayfield, he was at one point. And then he was, he's was he been hopping around all over the league. It's just the insane. Big... It's just insane to be saying that. And it makes sense. And the crazy thing is a lot of people would agree. The biggest problem for the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game is that the running game was non-existent. Non-existent. And they, they couldn't score the entire first half because they couldn't run the football. And, like, we talked about this with a lot of the games this week. We talked about the Chargers shutting down the run in their game against the Bills. But when you can't run the football, you can't have successful quarterback playing. You can't pass the football. Because once a team is is stopping you with their front seven and those linebackers are playing downhill and all that, well, you you don't have the benefit of play action because they're not worried about you running the ball anymore. That's true. That's true. Although I do do think – I do think there is a way to win despite that because if you look at the Buccaneers and what they did running the ball, they they didn't do much. Rashad Wright, yeah, it wasn't Rashad Wright was averaging one point nine yards per carry. Chase Edmonds had ten carries for twenty five yards. Neither team was able to move the ball on the ground here. It's a lot easier to operate an offense without running the ball, but the fact is this was a battle between two quarterbacks, and the quarterback who was playing better was the one that won. Yeah, and that's normally how it goes, to be honest. And and that's normally how I do my picks every week. Actually, is I'll, I'll I'll I go coaching quarterback, and I look at the coaching quarterback matchup, and whoever the hottest coach is and the hottest quarterback is, that's normally who I pick in these kinds of games. Unless there's other external factors, like the Steelers just um, being one of those teams that finds a way to win regardless, <laughs> um, or like the Titans and those types of scenarios. But yeah. Um, I was not surprised at all the Buccaneers won this game, and as convincingly as they did, uh, the J- Jacksonville's had concerns all year. I just think now they're finally catching up with them. They've been really inconsistent all season long. They've been remarkably inconsistent. But the fact is that they're on a four-game losing streak. And you look at both of these teams, right? You look at where these teams are in terms of playoff opportunity. The Jags, like I said, losing streak. They've run their cushion of wins because they were winning a lot in like the midsection of the year and even like early in the year. They've run that cushion that they built for themselves completely dry. Well, yeah, well, they got to win out at this point. Now they're in a three-way tie for the division lead. And they could easily be knocked out of the playoffs sometime soon if they don't start playing better. The well, Buccaneers... Their next two games, 
Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just want to look at, like, a comparison, and then you could say what you want to yeah, say. Yeah. But the Buccaneers are in a very similar spot. They are in a tight division, which will also most likely only have one representative in the playoffs. But they're doing what the Jaguars aren't. They're making a late-season push, not slacking and losing the cushion that they built for themselves. They're, they're making a push late season to differentiate themselves from the other teams in their division. They're not slacking right now because they built themselves up a little cushion earlier. No, they're building a little bit more upon the small lead that they had. They're differentiating, they're differentiating themselves even more. The Jaguars, they're losing. When the Buccaneers, they understand how crucial these upcoming weeks are, so they're taking it and going. It's a difference in mindset. It's very clear. Well, it's a difference in mindset. I mean, but I talk about this all the time when people try to like, because in the NFL, it's a very recency bias type league, and we're all so quick to give out superlatives, especially early in the season. And I always say you don't want to be playing your best football in September and October. And you don't want to be on the decline when it comes time to make the push for playoffs. Or if you have built that cushion for yourself like the Panthers did, you don't want to be losing that cushion progressively as the season goes on. And it's a testament to the coaches of a lot of these teams, I would say more so than the players, that the Buccaneers in this particular instance, you know, they had their, their rough patches, their rocky moments, but now they're at that point in the season where they're playing their best football. This is the time of year where you're supposed to be playing your best football, or at least working toward playing your best football. And it's a tale of two teams. And it's funny that they both play in Florida. Um, and it's funny that in a lot of ways they're, they're quite similar in terms of like the receiving talent that they have and just how both rosters are constructed, at least in my opinion. Um, but it's funny how one team, you know, plays – both teams play in a bad division. One team was playing very good football at the beginning of the season, had some pretty good wins, um, particularly in London. And then another team had their, their rough patches, their their bad moments, and now all of a sudden they're on a win streak and they're knocking on the door of winning their division. Yeah, it, it is, like you said, a tale of two teams. Two completely different yeah. teams. Same situation for both of them, but one is handling it in a completely different way of than the other, and only one of them is going to be successful, despite being in different conferences. Really, I don't see a world where both these teams make a playoffs, and the real reason that I'm saying that is because I don't see a world where the Jaguars pick it back up. I really don't. It, they look so uninspired well, right now. Here's what I was going to say. The Jaguars' next two games are against the Panthers, or at home against the Panthers, and then they go out to Tennessee, which they normally play very well against Tennessee. Mm. Um, and with the Texans, with Stroud's status still unknown as to whether or not he's coming back this upcoming week, and the Texans' next two games are – here, I can tell you right now, but my internet is slacking. You could still hear me, right? Yep. Yeah, my internet is slacking right now. I'll pull it up on my phone. Oh, sorry, I Texans will. are playing – the Titans and the Colts in the next two weeks. Um, so we'll see how that one pays. I guess the Titans could play spoiler for either of these two teams, but yeah. And you know what? That's a very Mike Vrabel thing to happen, in all honesty. They just you could be both them. of them in the next yeah. two weeks. That would be funny. That would what be a it? story. I, I could see it. But again, and maybe both of them make the playoffs. They very well could, but my point is, these are two very similar teams in terms of what's happening around them, but the way the Jaguars are handling it 
and the way the Buccaneers are handling it, well, it's very clear which team is handling it the better way. I don't think anyone yeah. is going to doubt that. But let's move on to a game a lot of people were hyping up. No one thought it would be game of the week just because, well, the Ravens 49ers game happened. But the Cowboys Dolphins game, this was a matchup between the two highest scoring offenses in the NFL going toe to toe. Yet the final score only ended up being 22 to 20. No, I think that says and a lot. Guess who bet the under? Guess who bet the under <laughs> on this game, Patrick? I did. It was a recipe for the under. It was a recipe for the under. That says a Especially lot in Miami. about how, about the role that playing against poor teams and playing well, racking up the scoreboard against these poor teams has on that specific stat. But yeah, congratulations to you for betting the under. Under, how much did you win from that? Oh, um, it was part of a parlay. I forget exactly. It was like did you did you get the rest of the parlay? I don't think I mi- I missed it by a leg. Devastating. I missed it by a leg. Devastating. Yeah, it was actually well. So there, I had um, I had a parlay with the under on Dolphins Cowboys. I had the over on Cardinals Bears, which hit. I had the Titans minus three, which was a push, um, and then I missed one more leg, which I'm forgetting about because I've wiped it from my memory. But I had a four leg <laughs> parlay, and that was the last leg did not hit, unfortunately. But I I smelled this under, I smelled it because I was like two highest scoring offenses in the NFL going head to head. Okay, Vic Vangio against Dan Quinn, I'm going to take those two <laughs> in this kind of match. And that's something too, right? So. You mentioned the defensive coordinators right there. Dan Quinn, he he's similar to Staley, who we talked about earlier, in the sense that he cares a lot more about the guys in the secondary. He's going to go lighter with the boxes and play more guys in coverage. Yet, Miami didn't have like this absurd performance on the, on the ground. Now, they played well. They played well, but they didn't have like this phenomenal performance you know, lights out performance on the ground. However, the no, but I'll tell you, it did it did pay dividends at the end of the game. It was Jeff because Wilson of the play action. Salted. Yeah, it was the play action. But Jeff Wilson kind of salted it away at the end. I yeah. mean, he was running five yards a clip out there. Well, their ability yeah. to establish play action was also a big thing too. But I I agree, Wilson, what he did at the end, key key. And I was just about to say, they didn't have an absurdly great running game. But they had a better running game than the Cowboys, who didn't do well on the ground. And that was the difference here. There there were two major differences here. It was that, and the Dolphins were hitting Dak Prescott every single play. They were killing him. Play after play after play. They were knocking him down. Even if they didn't sack him, they would hit him after the play. They would rough him up. He was getting roughed up all game. And Dak is a tough quarterback. He'll stay in the pocket for the extra second. But still, that takes a toll on you. Especially when... You know, Tua, he he's, you know, going scotch-free. You know, oh, Micah Parsons is really scary, but it's okay. He won't get to me that much. The Cowboys really missed, really missed Tyron Smith in this game. Yeah, dude, Bradley Chubb was, was eating. And same with Andrew Van Ginkle, actually. Those two were all over the edge. Um, and, and in all honesty, do you remember that strip sack fumble they had pretty early in the game and then weren't able to score a touchdown on? Mm-hmm. Which... 
was crazy to me because when you have that kind of momentum as an offense, you're starting in the goal line with fresh legs. Like you didn't have to march all the way down the field. You guys just came off the bench. Like you're ready to go. Um, and the fact that they couldn't get it in the end zone on that was, was pretty concerning to me, but yeah, I, I a think, testament to Devin Quinn. And you got to admit, both defenses played a really good game here. It did on, on both sides, you know, CD lamb made some plays, but I think if the Cowboys had like a second start, just because the run game is kind of illegitimate, they, they really need like, uh, T. Higgins to C.D. Lamb's Jamar Chase. You know, like, Brandon Cooks is good, but he isn't like a Jalen Waddle wide receiver, too. He isn't like a Devonta Smith wide receiver, too. They need someone like that if they're going to get away with their running game kind of being illegitimate. Well, and I think what they really need is a contested catch guy. As good as C.D. Lamb is, uh, catching in traffic and, you know, in, in man coverage and all kinds of things, I think that they need a guy who's really going to go up and get those jump balls. When Dak has got pressure breathing down his throat, and he could just say, well, screw it, so-and-so is somewhere. You know, T. Higgins is somewhere. Or like, And he could just put it up, and even though it's a 50-50 ball, a guy like Mike Evans, T. Higgins will come down with that. Yeah, and listen, Gallup is so old at this point, you know you can't rely on him here. Not at this yeah. point. Not if you're a legitimate NFL team. That they need something, whether it's a great route runner, just something to be like the other punch because the run. Well, game Gallup's is only twenty-seven. I think you're talking about Cooks. Cooks is like thirty-two. No, no but I, I mean Gallup might not be like old, but you would think he's old because he's went from he has gone from like a reliable contested catch guy to like DJ Chark. Like you'll throw him out there occasionally, yeah, and then maybe throw him. Yeah, you'll throw, really <laughs> you'll throw him like a goal line fade every now and then. But he's not going to be a three down guy for you. Like, yes, he's only 27. Honestly, I am surprised he's that young. I thought he was like 29. But yeah, he's only 27. I He's playing like he's 32. Yeah. <laughs> so... I My point is they need, they need a counter. They need the other punch. They have C.D. Lamb, and I think they could get away with Brandon Cooks as the wide receiver too if they had a more legitimate running game, but it, it isn't. And if you need proof of that, look at this game. The running game was doing nothing. Nil, zip, zero. You're doing nothing. Exactly. But, no yeah, I, I, th- I think Tyron Smith being out was such a huge difference in this game. Yeah, it was a catalyst for sure, and I also think that um, interestingly enough, Miami only had one touchdown in this 22-point performance um, and relying on the leg of, I believe it's Jason Sanders. It is. Yeah, Jason Sanders to do a lot of that work. I mean, if he missed any of those field goals, they would have been... They would have lost. They would have been out of luck. Yeah, exactly. So it really came down to... And Brandon Aubrey, I believe, did he miss one? He, he, Am I, I don't know if he missed one, but I know, I know that Aubrey, uh, I know he did a lot of their work. Has a kicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, neither team was. Kicks. Yeah, neither team was really getting into the end zone much. It, it was a. It was field goals to death. A lot of bend yeah. don't break. Exactly, and the goal line defenses from both teams were were very stout, which I was pretty impressed by. Yeah, no yeah. rushing touchdowns in this game either. Nope. So, let's just move on to the. I 
this is one I just couldn't see coming in a million years. I know any given Sunday or any given... No, this was Sunday. <laughs> I thought that this yeah, was a Monday game for a second. It was Sunday. The Patriots lost... Sorry, Patriots beat the Denver Broncos. I could not see this one coming at all. It might I have mean, been the best game I watched all weekend. I'm not going to lie. It was a tight game for all the wrong reasons. Well, most entertaining game. Not the best football I saw all weekend, but definitely the most entertaining football game. Really strange. Even from the moment the game started, it started so weird. First play of the game, strip sack. And then what happens? Oh, the Broncos do nothing. I mean... Well, Patrick, can I ask you, how many times are the Patriots going to throw Ezekiel Elliott slip screens before they realize that it's negative five yards every time? How many times are they going to do it? Because they do it week in and week out despite teams knowing that that's their game plan and despite knowing that Zeke is an old man and can't do anything with the ball in space anymore, and yet they keep doing it. You want to talk about a Christmas-themed metaphor that I like to refer to this uh, entire Patriots offense as? They're the island of misfit toys. They are. Ezekiel Elliott. That's what Jay- I was calling him on Christmas. That's a great, yeah. Jalen so Rieger. Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Devontae everything Parker. about it. Devontae Parker. Everything about it. It's all just so... Eh. And the fact that... L- let me let me tell you a story. This is going to sound off track. This is going to sound a little bit off track. I'm listening. I'm, I'm all ears. I'm but... All ears. Eventually, it'll get back to the game. Every Christmas, my dad buys me at least two jerseys. But I I like surprises for Christmas. So, I tell him teams. I tell him two teams every year that I want a jersey for. Because I don't root for a specific team, right? I, I just, I want merch for every team. And my favorite form of that merch is jerseys. So, Keep in mind, this was like early December. So which teams would you have said were contenders at that point? Baltimore Ravens, obviously. And you got to keep in mind, I can't ask for a Cowboys jersey because my dad's a Giants fan. I can't ask for a 49ers jersey because my dad's a Giants fan and he grew up like during the peak of that rivalry. And I can't ask for an Eagles jersey, although I got one for Secret Santa, so it doesn't matter. But I can't ask for an Eagles jersey because... (laughs) Giants fan, right? So that that limits my options a little bit. But I, I said the Baltimore Ravens, and then this was while the Bills were still kind of struggling a bit. So I was like, you know what? Get me a Denver Broncos jersey. No way. And Christmas comes around, and I, I get a Denver Broncos jersey. I got a John Elway jersey. Very nice jersey. Very nice. If you're listening, thank you very much, Dad. Very nice jersey. If I got that Denver Broncos jersey just for the Broncos to miss the playoffs because they lost to the three-win New England Patriots led by Bailey Zappi, I'll be beyond speechless. I will. It is, it is terrible for them to have this type of loss this late in the season after losing the week prior in embarrassing fashion they clearly haven't recovered from that Detroit game Russell Wilson looked awful everything about this Denver team looked terrible you can't be letting Bailey Zappi score on you this defense is supposed to be a lot better than 
how they played. Russell Wilson is supposed to be a lot better than how he played. The second they lost Cortland Sutton, I had no idea Cortland Sutton was more important to the Broncos' offense than Tyreek Hill is to the Dolphins' offense. But apparently he is, because the second Cortland Sutton went down, you would think the game ended, because they were able to do nothing whatsoever. Nil, zip, zero. They were awful on offense, and the defense wasn't too great either. It, it was a terrible performance by Denver, and the fact that this happens this late in the season when you're fighting for a playoff spot, it is pitiful. My cat is meowing right now. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, um, I just want to say that I have nothing to add after your sermon because that is everything that was in my brain, aside from the jersey thing. But <laughs> I do not own a Broncos jersey. But, yeah, you kind of hit the nail right on top of the head there. I mean, this is just for, – for all the, the rah-rah that Sean Payton talked at an end of the season and then to go out and lose a game like this is just abysmal. It's terrible. But you know what? It makes it better for Denver's playoff chances when the Kansas City Chiefs also get upset by – a team that they shouldn't be losing to. Wait, real quick, uh, Patrick. Uh, this on the Sunday games we missed the Bears Cardinals real quick. Maybe You're right. Know. I have that written down. I just did not. Oh, okay, okay. Then let's just go to the Chiefs. <laughs> let's just go to the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I I should do it in order. I just scrolled right past it because I have so few notes on it. So thank you so I much. I don't, for I don't have that. any notes on it. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I go through every game anyway. Uh, so. Sure, let's just jump into that then. Thank you for reminding me. We would have eventually got back to it. I just don't know when I would have noticed. So, look at how unprofessional we are. Thank you very much for pointing that out. So, should I start it just because you said you don't have any notes on it? I don't I don't have much. This game kind of went pretty much how you would expect. Yeah, I, I really thought that the Cardinals were going to put up a little bit more of a fight than they eh, did. I don't. I just look at it like this. You got Chicago's... Defense has been playing good football. They have. And they have. You, you just look at what do the Cardinals have to attack them? They have Trey McBride. He, he's having a pretty good season. He's oh, playing well. James Conner's still yeah. pretty serviceable. But and also, I thought that Kyler Murray was the better quarterback in this Kyler matchup. Murray was the better quarterback. There's no doubting that. But Kyler Murray also had to do a lot more. Yeah. Because of the defense he was facing off against. And because Fields could distribute the ball to Cole Komet. And then, well... That receiver core isn't too special beyond DJ Moore, but still, at least he has something. Meanwhile, Kyler, he has Trey McBride getting locked up by one of the best coverage linebacker groups in the entire NFL. James Conner, who is also being locked up by the, one of the best coverage linebacker groups in the NFL. Okay, now what about on the perimeter? Oh, you have Hollywood Brown. He's getting locked up by Tyreek Stevenson or Kyler Gordon or... Jalen Johnson, it really doesn't matter. They could put any of those three on him, and it works. And they tried putting all three on him, and every time it worked. I mean, the Bears' defense is a good unit. If you don't have the weapons to attack them, you're, you're not well, in Well, Eberflus is a good coach. Like, yes. Eberflus knows what to do with a lot of this talent. And I would argue that they have one of the better young secondaries in the NFL right now. Like, just in terms of having that core group of guys that are, you know, you know, they're young and they're still learning the position and they're becoming these bona fide studs. But, like, I love Jalen Johnson. I think Tyreek Stevenson's one of the best rookie corners in the NFL right now. And Jaquan Brisker is, is a very stout safety. Great. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, again, the, the Cardinals, listen, they're rebuilding. They're going in the right direction. 
I 100% acknowledge that. Just right now, they don't have much to work with. They don't. They were they focus more on trying to find their identity as a football team this year, and I think the good thing is they they found out like Kyler Murray's still that guy. Kyler yeah. has had a really good. Well, game. and if they get a Maserati Marv in the draft, which you know we don't have to talk about that now, but if they do end up getting Marvin Harrison Jr., I think that changes the the trajectory of this team significantly. Yeah, and I think even if they don't, this is a stacked wide receiver class. They're already going in the right direction. I I know. Gannon gets memed a lot because of who he is, how he acts, but I do think he's a nice culture guy for them. He's clearly establishing the right precedent for that team. I really just look and I say this is a team going in the right direction. They don't really have much now, but in the future they're going to have what they need, and really that's all Cardinals fans should care about at the moment. That's true. So yeah, Cardinals, they, they won that game. But let's move over back to that Kansas City game. Right. Yes, there we because go. Th- this is a more interesting one between teams that have a little, bit, a little bit more attention on them at the moment. They got upset by the Las Vegas Raiders. Listen, I predicted this one because I, I just looked at it and I said the Chiefs played awful against the Patriots. They won, but they played terribly. They did. Th- that offense is a one-man band. And yes, I know Travis Kelsey is there. But people are acting like, oh, Travis Kelsey lost a step. No, he lost 30. He lost 30 steps. He is not a reliable target for him. He does not get open enough. He might still get volume, but the only reason he gets that volume is because the receivers are even worse. Okay? O-line is terrible. Pass catchers can't separate. Their most important player that isn't playing quarterback in Travis Kelsey is no longer a reliable matchup nightmare. The Chiefs just started calling screens repeatedly because no one could get open downfield. Losing the enemy was massive. Matt Nagy has done an awful job. All that talk about how the enemy never got a head coaching job because the offense was all Andy Reid or all and all Patrick Mahomes or all Travis Kelsey, all Tyreek Hill, whatever. But now look at it. It makes me want to say, oh, maybe it was all Eric Bieniemy. I'm not saying that that's the case. The reality is it was a mixture of everything. But still. First off, Bieniemy's done a very good job in Washington, but even if he didn't, he should be getting a head coaching job just because of how bad the Chiefs' offense looks right now. Because it's not just, oh, they lost a step, they're bad. They're bad offensively. They didn't do a good job at all in this game. At all. And the defense wasn't look, too great either. It's not just Kelsey that's lost a step. I think that we're also learning that Mahomes is just as much of a product of the scheme. Uh, like, And look, I, I think it's a little bit of a cold take, like crapping on Patrick Mahomes. I still think he's great, and I still think he's the best off-schedule quarterback in the NFL. But he's just as reliant on the receivers he's throwing to and the scheme that's surrounding him as any other quarterback in the NFL. I don't think I agree with that. Just because what was working the best in that game, the backyard football, and it's amazing how every every successful pass attempt that – Mahomes has made is off schedule and that's like this year and I mean I'm not taking that fully to heart but I will say in a lot of confidence 75% of the completed passes in this offense are off schedule and those are all Mahomes all Mahomes well yeah but it's not it's not that I still like I said I still think Mahomes off schedule is still one of the better quarterbacks when it's in schedule he has nothing to work with the like I said the receivers aren't getting open there's not much time in structure 
for plays to work out because the O-line has been playing awful. Everything has to become back. Well, and Trey Smith went down in that game, and Trey Smith is one of the more underrated guards in the league, um, at least as far as I'm concerned. I think he's a he's a stud. I, but so, yeah. You know the way everyone was talking about Bryce Young earlier in the season saying, oh, there's nothing to work with. The O-line sucks. The receivers suck. Mahomes, same, worse situation. Uh, how's that? No, not worse. About as bad. Maybe not I worse. I, I, I was getting ahead of myself. I'll say that. Yeah. But uh, about as bad of a situation. The the only like I huge mean, difference is Andy, Andy Reid. That's the only huge yeah. difference. But even then, how much has Andy Reid really done for them? You watch this scheme. You watch the team, what they're running. They're not running anything too elaborate. I'm telling you that right now. Every now and then, they'll run some crazy stuff. But how well does that crazy stuff work out? In fact, most of the time, it looks like they're getting too cute. How about the fumbled handoff to Patrick Mahomes from Isaiah Pacheco? How'd that work out? Yeah. It didn't. I mean, in a lot of these plays that Andy Reid draws up to be creative or whatever, it does them more harm than good. At least recently. And maybe well, I'm just magnifying too that. Cute. Well, no, no, but they've been getting too cute with the offense. We can all sure. admit that. Like, sure. Like, the gimmicks, at some point, you just got to line up in three yards in a cloud of dust. And I also think the lack of a, of a run game here has been the biggest. I mean, Mahomes was their leading rusher. Yes, that was work. That was what was working the best on that offense. And that's not a good thing. When your quarterback running the ball is the best thing for your offense, that, that's a really bad sign. And I also or when think... your quarterback has as many rushing yards as your wide receiver has receiving yards. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a I also think... Like, yeah. you look at the picks, a lot of people are going to look at the picks and say, oh, man, Mahomes has fallen off. But no, all those picks are him just trying to do too much because he had no other option. And and that's why I feel like, like you could say, oh, in structure, he's not as good as we all think. But we this year, we just haven't seen him in structure. Well, it's not that he's not good in structure. I think he plays phenomenal in structure. I just don't think that there's been much structure and the structure that he does have is not necessarily conducive to a successful offense operating. Yeah, but exactly. It, I, it the really made me is, think it. And I'm not a Mahomes lover by any means, okay? But I think if you watch this team and how they play in that offense, the blame is 99%, no, 99.999% everyone else, then the other 0.00001 is Mahomes. I don't know if you could say all that, but he's exaggerating he's a little bit. He's turning yeah, the he's ball still... over because there's no other choice. He he uh, has he has to play that brand of football for them to be remotely successful with how this offense is playing. That's how I yeah, truly it's feel. Sort of that, it's sort of that Josh Allen cowboy type. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. He ha yeah. but the thing is we know if Mahomes has to turn that switch, he will. If Mahomes has to play in structure, he will. Because last year I, this was a big take for me. I was saying at the end of last year, Mahomes played the bet one of the best seasons in NFL history by a quarterback because of what he was able to do in structure that year. He operated from the pocket, hit the open guys, and if he needed to play some backyard football, he'd do it. But you'd see he'd go through his reads, stand in the pocket, do what has to be done. Easy as that. He could still do that. But the receivers aren't getting open. The old line isn't holding up. The receivers aren't catching the ball, even if he throws it into the perfect spot, which he has multiple times. There is nothing for Mahomes to be working with right now. And again, I don't love Mahomes, but it's just you watch the offense, and that's the clear takeaway. 
Yeah, I think that, and also to be fair, we got to give Antonio Pierce some credit. I wanted to go ahead and do that when we finished this up. Yes, because he took a he took a flyer on Jack Jones after he got cut by the Patriots and a Patriots team that could really use the help on the secondary because before this podcast we were talking about Christian Gonzalez going down and all that but what he's been able to do with those guys because he sat primarily in zone that game and he had those guys kind of playing downhill from zone but the way he's coached up those DBs to play instinctually look at the eyes of the quarterback and sort of trust themselves to go out and make those plays when necessary I mean I gotta hand him a whole lot of credit because what he's done with that unit and a unit that I don't think is particularly all that talented and they oh, really haven't spent that much draft capital they on haven't the first they haven't used much to bring those guys in but I mean enough about Max Crosby you look at the players on this defense, especially the secondary, maybe they're not the most talented group, but they have the right technique. They know how to play the ball. They know how to stay on receivers. They all do a phenomenal job. Nate Hobbs has been great this year. Marcus Epps, really underrated player. And Meek Robinson has looked really good. You said it right there. Jack Trayvon Jones. Mary. Trayvon Mary has been playing well. Blaine. Yeah, I was just about to get to Spillane. Spillane's, oh, yeah. Spillane's been one of my favorite players to watch this year. He really has. I did a film analysis on him earlier in the season. The defense has been playing really well. You know, you mentioned Jack Jones. All these guys, really, the majority of them, have been playing really good football. And I, I'm glad we saw another display of it against their division rival in KC. Yeah. Speaking of a great display... Oh, yeah, playing football actually, against a division rival i, I don't know if display, i would exactly yeah, call that i don't know if i would exactly call that a great display by philly but uh, no 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 a great display of now i'm trying to find a way to crap on the eagles right now it just didn't come out the way i wanted it to um speaking of a great display of not wanting to win a football game but winning it anyway really are, but winning anyway because for some god unknown reason you're playing a high school football team with all due respect to the Giants. Um, yeah, to say that I am upset with Philadelphia's performance on Christmas Day um, is perhaps an understatement. Uh, we look like we don't even want to be out there. And it's it's this is nothing about the X's and O's, because I can go on and on about how Brian Johnson throws 15 screens every game, and none of them work. Not a single – there was one to Britton Covey that went for like seven yards, but we are throwing screen passes like it's our job. And I think, the offense looks anemic. The run game is so simple and vanilla that it makes me sick to my stomach. Um, and the defense – Just, just yeah. for an X's and O's perspective, if you want the X's and O's, look at the Brett Coleman video. He always makes high-caliber content. But oh, yeah. his video about the Eagles offense and how it looks from a schematic perspective, I think it's spot on. If you really want to know how that sounds, look up Brett Coleman on YouTube. Watch that video. I'm pretty sure he just said the Eagles run a high school offense. I'm pretty sure that's the name. Just watch it. It really gives you a perspective on how bad that scheme is, how poorly the offense is being run. But carry on. I just want to tell that to the people. Yeah, no, it is a, it is a high school offense. and It's just so – like, as somebody that's played football – at the high school and collegiate level, like even the football that I played in high school was was more complex and more dynamic than what the Eagles are running now on offense. And these are grown men. These are adults that have studied this game for multiple years. And they somehow, on the coaching side and on the player side, 
cannot figure out how to run anything. And look at what Steichen's doing with the Colts right now. And the Colts don't nearly have as much talent as the Eagles do, with all due respect. But it's it, we're seeing a lot of Steichen's worth right now. I still think the defense can be fixed and patched up. I, still, I, I think Gannon's a good defensive coordinator, but I think that there's still things that can be done to help the Eagles' day. But this offense is the main problem with this team right now. And the fact that I understand Wink Martindale is a good defensive coordinator, but it's that game should have been 53-3. to mm. Well, I mean, we remember how it was last year in the playoffs, these two teams matching up. That's what I'm saying. It should have been, in, like, uh, it should have been a barn door stomping type game. And yeah, it, it wasn't. It, especially, yeah. It was a lot of call just, and plays just to not lose from Philly. Oh, you know what? This was the last leg of my parlay. I had the Eagles to cover the 13 and a half point spread and they didn't cover. Yeah. Even though That's Tommy cool. DeVito got replaced by Tyra Taylor halfway through Philly just couldn't, they, they couldn't really get the ball rolling to the extent that they should have. Of course they still won. Who cares? The giants didn't want to win that game. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you just look at it. Philly. We didn't want to win that game. They, They've been exhausted ever since they had that three-game stretch when they played against Dallas in Philly, then they played against the Chiefs, then the Bills the week after. Ever since then, they've just been exhausted. They've looked exhausted. They got beat down by the 49ers the week after. Then they lost to the Cowboys. Then they lost to Seattle. And now they barely beat the Giants. I mean... They've just looked exhausted. I don't think exhausted is even the word I would use. I think uninspired. Sure. They look like they look like they don't want to be there in the first place. And they were playing at home in Philadelphia to a wonderful Christmas Day Eagles crowd. And they're out there on kick returns. And we got wide receivers getting blocked into the returner who fumbles the football and then gives the Giants the ball in the red zone. Like, it's just we're falling asleep at the wheel right now. And I understand that I'm an Eagles fan, that I'm talking pretty passionately about this. But this had nothing to do with the Giants. This was the Eagles just not wanting to be there in the first place. And it was pretty evident by the product we saw on the field. Yeah, the the only times where it looked like something was even remotely sparking up in the players were just the third downs. They converted a lot of third downs throughout that game. Uh, I remember a specific one. The center, Jason Kelsey, missed a snap. Jalen Hurts runs five yards back, picks it up, throws a dump-off pass to the tight end, and the tight end got the three yards he needed for the first down. Yeah, it was to Cal Quintero, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, that that's a huge statement as to, as to how bad the Giants are. But it's also just, where's that energy the rest of the game, you know? Like, something goes wrong, okay, you know what, who cares? We're going to jump on it and make a play anyway. Where's that? Well, because that's the thing. Those kinds of plays are going to happen in the game, but it's just the fact that the plays did happen and nobody rallied behind it. Nobody was going to make the play to make up for the bad play. Well, and also, it, no boss was any then, time. Was, yeah. Except then, there was the bad play by the center. Okay, I'm Jalen Hurts, I'm going to make a play anyway. The tight end not only catches the pass but then runs for the first down after. Where is that? Because clearly they still have it, but I don't see that same energy from the team in the rest of the game. Why is it? 
Why is it that when you need to make a play, there it is, but for the rest of the game, you're just going to be all lackadaisical, oh, it's not third down yet, I don't really have to play great ball, I don't have to make a great block, but then, oh, it's oh, it's third and short, fourth and short, okay, now let's really get ready for this tush push, okay, we converted now, let's take the next two plays off, okay, it's a big third down, now I'm going to make the great throw. Why do they have to wait until it's needed for it to work? Because, yeah, that's fine against the New York Giants, but when you're playing in the playoffs, that's how you're a first-round exit. If you can only play 30% of the game at full effort, you're not going to win in the NFL playoffs. It just isn't well, just don't Just don't even play the game. Yeah. I, I mean, they're a team that just is walking around almost taking pride in the label of first-round first exit. Yeah, that's what they're looking like right now. Yeah, Anyways, but... enough about my depressing Eagles. Let's talk about um, the game. A more of the positive week. note. Let's talk about the game of the week, or what everyone expected to be the game of the week, and then the Ravens went out there and made it almost look easy. Made it look easy. You have offensive mastermind Kyle Shanahan against defensive mastermind Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald wins that matchup. And then Lamar's making plays all over the place. Where do we even start with this game? Yeah, I just want to start with Lamar real quick. Because I picked the Ravens to win this game solely because Lamar Jackson is playing, in my opinion, like the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I mean, what he has done, and I'll give a lot of credit to Todd Munkin and this, like, you know, and what he's been able to do with the offense as well. But Lamar Jackson all over the field against a very talented 49ers defense that has put a lot of resources into the front four in particular, making what was what is one of the best pass rushes in the in the NFL, like completely negated from the entire game. Um, what he's been able to do off schedule, on schedule, just being the leader of this team. I mean, there were times where the team didn't get fully set on the ball and he's flipping out on guys. And he's just got that desire to win, man, and it's permeating throughout the rest of this team. So I just got to give a shout-out to Lamar because all of the slander that he's gotten over the past couple of years, people can eat their words because he's the MVP. Oh, and there's no doubt about it. Even what, even before this game started, it wasn't the battle for MVP. I, I'm sorry. Purdy never deserved no. it. And I'm not here to knock Purdy. I really am not. I think Purdy is a very good quarterback, but when you have that many pieces around you, no one is going to be the most valuable player because there's so many valuable pieces. All right. Meanwhile, there's other offenses that are almost like a one-man band. You mentioned Lamar and how great he's playing. There are legitimately plays in each and every single game this year, especially this one, where you see him 1v11, the opposing defense, and he wins, and wins big, and he'll do it constantly, even with refs tripping him up and then getting a safety on yeah you know, uh, intentional grounding. It doesn't matter. It's not enough to slow this team, nor Lamar Jackson down. He's motivated, and he's here for blood. He's here for blood. You could tell he wants a ring. He doesn't care about winning MVP. He wants to win a Super Bowl. And it doesn't matter if Mark Andrews is gone. Yeah, it doesn't matter if Mark Andrews is out. It doesn't matter what. He's chasing the Lombardi. He's chasing the Lombardi, and I love to see it because he has the team around him to do it. Let's talk about that defense that was oh so great because that's going to be a key part of this playoff push for them. Well, and you know what they really did? And and we talked about this before the episode started, and I'm going to sound like a dead horse to you, but at least to the viewers. The tackling was the most important thing here because the 49ers make a living off of just getting the ball to their athletes, their Christian McCaffreys, their Debos, 
um, getting it to, I mean, Ayuk in space. Just uh, name a player on that offense, that's who they're getting the football to, right? And they they took plays that were three-yard checkdowns and that could have gone for 15 more yards, and they shut them down completely. They rallied to the football. It was more than one tackler every single time. And, you know, there were some big chunk plays, but even the big chunk plays got limited because they were rallying. They were making those touchdown-saving tackles downfield. I could not have been more impressed with just the effort given by the Ravens' defense, let alone the scheme for McDonald. But the tackling was the biggest thing for me. The major takeaway a lot of people would have after this game, and I've heard a lot of people saying it, and they're spot on. It's been a thing all season, but this was the game that really exposed it. Besides Trent Williams, this O-line is not good for San Fran. It, it really isn't. They don't have much to work with there. The Ravens were winning the battle on the line of scrimmage all game long, and it says a lot because these are two teams that love to be physical, but the Ravens were more physical, and that says so much. Matt Abuike had a field day. He was balling out against the run we saw Travis Jones line up on the edge and force Purdy's fourth interception I mean Travis Jones is a big guy he should not be playing on the edge but he still worked he's 330 pounds yeah. <laughs> and he still worked an inside move got to the quarterback and Purdy threw his fourth pick by the way five picks total for the Ravens in this game that is absurd and it's a lot because of their ability to disguise coverages something that you see repeatedly from Mc from Mike McDonald and then Purdy was just making some stupid decisions at times. It was clear, like, some of these plays, it didn't work exactly how Purdy expected it to work out pre-snap, and as a result, Purdy kind of panicked a little bit. Not too much. I'm not going to act like Purdy's a fraud, but this was a bad day for him. It really was. Well, it was I, also because the pass rush was screaming down his throat. Yes. I mean, Jadavian Curley was, was bending the edge all over the field. Um, and, I mean, if you look, I mean, the production, uh, I think they only had two sacks in this game, but... Or no, it might have been a little bit. No, they have four sacks. My bad. I was looking at the wrong stat sheet. They had four sacks in this game, and all coming from different guys. Well, and Brent Urban had two on the interior, actually. But the pass rush was incredible. And even though Matabuike wasn't able to put a stack a sack on the sheet, he was at the quarterback every single time he was on the field. Mm-hmm. And it was their ability to stop the run too. McCaffrey did have yeah. a decent game, but he didn't have a McCaffrey game. Okay, he just simply didn't. They were terrorizing that offense. It doesn't matter what Kyle Shanahan tried to throw at McDonald. They were ready. They were ready. They were making plays. Kyle Hamilton was picking balls off. Marlon Humphrey had a field day, not only as a tackler, but also in coverage. Everything was clicking for the Patrick Queen, I got to give a shout out because Patrick Queen doesn't get enough credit because he's playing next to Roquan Smith, who might just be the, the the second best linebacker in football outside of Fred Warner, who also played in this game. But Patrick Queen, man, was all over the field lining up, sometimes as a pass rusher, sometimes in coverage, covering slot-wide receivers, just making tackles all over the field on these zone run schemes that Kyle Shanahan loves so much. Like He was up and down the field in a lot of places, and the way that Mike McDonald used him so creatively, I was really impressed by so, I have two things I want to say, and I want to hear if you disagree. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill with this specific game. It's more of a statement as to how good Baltimore is than a display of how fraudulent San Fran is. Is that correct? Would you agree with that? I would say that, yeah, this was a statement game for Baltimore more than it was for San Fran, but I will say that this has ended the Brock Purdy MVP conversation. Yes. 
and has really that, shown that, that their conversation should have never started though yeah so i want to say that and then the other thing if this game occurs again in the playoffs in the super bowl in the super bowl it will not look the same way it will be a lot closer on both sides this game was more really? of an outlier well i'm not saying that baltimore would win really I'm not saying necessarily that Baltimore... I think Baltimore's got their numbers significantly right now. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's mean. necessarily that San Fran would win next time. But I do think it's going to be a lot closer. If it happens again. Do you, do you have a strong stance on that? Or you? They have a strong stance that the Niners won't be healthy enough by the end of... By, by the okay. time they, if, okay. if the Niners but, do make it to the Super Bowl, they will not be healthy enough to compete with this were. Ravens team that is deep. And the, I just I don't think that there's a scenario where they stop Lamar Jackson, because mm-hmm. while the defense is good, I think that the the departure of D'Amico Ryan's is pretty evident. Yes, in a lot of ways, because the amount of times where even teams like the Browns came out and played a pretty substantial offensive game against the Niners, like they've had their their down games this year sure. they've had games where they have and just like look they beat my philadelphia eagles and they were convincing on both sides of the ball and they'll have games like that but when you play an opponent that you're not as familiar with and that plays a completely different brand of football like comparing lamar jackson to jalen hurts is like comparing apples to oranges because jalen hurts is good but he's not the athlete in space that lamar jackson is with the ball in his hands mm-hmm. and then like, I, I don't know. I, I am just and, – and the way that this Ravens defense is playing, I think that if these te- if these two teams met on a neutral site – I mean, this game was in San Francisco, let's not forget. If these two teams met on a neutral site after going through the playoffs and the Ravens will likely be the one seed and have a little bit of an easier path to the Super Bowl, then I think the Niners will, especially if they, if they have to play the Lions or, you know, or the Eagles or the Cowboys, any of those teams, I think it's going to be a lot harder than anyone who the Ravens are going to have to face coming out of the AFC. So so I ask you, this is the final thing I want to ask before we wrap it up. Who's the best team in the NFL right now? Does this change your mind? Does this make you say Baltimore on top? It's, 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 it's the Baltimore Ravens. It's why I picked them to win this week. Because I, I prefaced it with saying, like, look, I know that the general consensus is that the Niners are the best team in football, but they haven't played the Ravens yet, and I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. And I, going into the season, I was very down on the Ravens because of all the noise in the offseason. I didn't think that – I thought Zay Flowers was going to be very good. I didn't think that Zay Flowers was going to be this good. I didn't think that without Mark Andrews that this team was going to be able to push through and that Isaiah likely was going to be able to make up for that deficit. I was concerned about the running game, the running back's room. I didn't think Keaton was going to come out and play as well as he did. This Ravens team is complete in every way, shape, or form. And as long as they have Lamar Jackson, they're they're the best team in the NFL right now, yes. I really like that take. I really like that take. Anyway, thank all of you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. I'm Patrick Seifer at no huddle nfl on tiktok instagram and on youtube that's no huddle nfl with no capitals and no spaces also available on twitter or x at no huddle nfl no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end if you want to check out some of dom's content why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff yeah that's uh at between the tackles on tiktok no capitals no spaces and between the tackles on youtube that's capital b capital t and capital b um all spaces 
in between those words um, on YouTube. I got a handful of videos that I put out before the NFL season, some content to come while I'm on winter break from school. Um, and in TikTok, I do my predictions every week. If you are a fan of betting, um, I'm doing pretty well in the predictions so far this year. Um, we're around 70% on being correct for the money line on games. So, yeah, check that out. And uh, thank you so much, Patrick, for this opportunity. It's always a pleasure being on the show. No problem. You know, I love having you on. Thank all of you for listening, and I'll see you all again on Thursday.